This is the Cigar Authority. Go, Harry. Go! The authority on everything cigar. That's what I'm talking about! Featuring cigar celebrities from every major cigar brand. We're going to see some serious Awesome. With your host, David Garofalo. Do you know who I am? This is the guy behind the guy behind the guy. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. And Mr. Jonathan. Mr. 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 I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. It's time for the Cigar Authority. Look at what we have here. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. Who wants to have some fun? Giant. Everybody, we are live from Two Guys Smoke Shop in Seabrook, New Hampshire. What time is it? Uh, we're talking with the Vintage Watchman this week. Christian Aroa, formerly Mr. Camacho, is coming on this week with his new cigars. We'll smoke them, review them, and talk to Christian himself on the show in a little while. MD, PhD, and scientist Mark McCosey will join us and release what I believe will be revolutionary. Today's the day we're all going to hear it. Proof that cigars are not only not bad for you, but here's the fact. They're good for you. Today's the day Mark Mo, uh, Dr. Mark Malcozzi will be on. He'll tell us about it in his proven uh, indicators that say that. So uh, that and a lot more this week on The Cigar Authority. We are being broadcast on WWZN AM 1510, The Revolution, Boston. WGHM 900, The Game in Nashua, New Hampshire. WARL 1320, Positive Energy in Providence, Rhode Island. WGAM 1250 ESPN Radio in Manchester, New Hampshire. We're being broadcast on The Cigar Station at thecigarstation.com twice on Sundays. They replay our show from 11 to 1 and 11 to 1. And why just listen live when you can watch, as David says, this mess, mm-hmm. with our video streaming right on thecigarauthority.com. And we are podcasted, as always, for your downloading and listening convenience on demand at The Cigar Authority and iTunes, where you can set it and forget it. And as they say, uh, it was Ed Sullivan, I believe, that said, we got a really big shoe for you today. We really have a big show, so we're going to start things off right away. we got a lot to squeeze in. With us is the Vintage Watchman from Timex to Timfody. Uh, the Vintage Watchman specializes in vintage wristwatches and pocket watches. He has them here at Two Guys Smoke Shop in Seabrook, New Hampshire today, on display for us to see. Guys are into watches. I'm into watches. Come on by. You can see his watches on HBO's Boardwalk. Empire and right here at Two Guys Smoke Shop in Salem. With us is Micah Tasker. How are you doing today? Good, very good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. No worries. So, wow. Uh, watches. Watches. How do you get into watches? You know, the funny thing is the fact that, I mean, I grew up in Milton, half an hour north of here. And um, I moved to Boston when I was like 20 years old. And this may shock you as a 20 year old. And I went out and did something stupid. And I went out and spent $350 on a watch. And it, at the time, it was, you know, quartz was in. It was one of those gold plate things. And two years down the road, all the gold plate was worn off. Because, I mean, gold plate basically means that there's gold in the building when they make the watch. Sure. Not necessarily on it, but in the building. So, and at the time, you know, mechanical stuff was kind of in a, in a downward spiral. But you could buy solid gold men's watches for, like, 60 bucks a piece, as many as you wanted. And I'm thinking, okay, where's like the downside? I have some of those right yeah, now. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. wouldn't you love to? Unfortunately, you know, a lot of those are getting melted these days. Yeah, what a shame. Um, so that, which it, which makes a watch even more valuable right now, seeing they're melting yeah, vintage I mean, things. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, I think it's an opportune time now. Now, gold is, is up, so you're going to make a little bit of an investment. But on the other side of the, the, the coin here is five years from now, try and find a nice 
solid gold vintage watch because they're getting melted left, right, and sideways. You know, pocket watch chains. They're just they're just destroying all this. Because stuff. they're considering the value of the gold worth more than the watch, the finished product itself. Well, yeah. I mean, they, traditionally, gold has been you know hovering around five hundred dollars an ounce for years and years. And you'd walk into a jewelry store and you'd see a vintage watch two two and a half times what the price of gold was. Today, at $1,600 an ounce, you know, some of them, it's, you know, you struggle getting beyond that $1,600 an ounce, the value of the gold. But the reality of it is, is you, you go up and down the street and you see all these We Buy Gold places. And all these guys do, as soon as you walk out the door, they pop the movement out, whether they use a hammer, whether they use a oh, and it, Yeah, and, and i got to tell you, that, that, that workmanship is gone forever. So, you know... Basic economics, supply and demand. You know, a few years down the road when the economy turns, and it's going to, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point it's going to be a situation. Find a a nice turn-of-the-century solid gold pocket watch. It's going to be a challenge. Right. You know, and and, and the issue with watches, I think it's, and I don't want to sound sexist here, but I think it's kind of a guy thing because, you know, realistically, you know, what do most other guys wear for jewelry? You know, we'll wear a wedding ring. You know, not so much the other stuff. So, um, you know, you see... Want a cigar? Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, you know, you see guys that get to a certain level in life, and they, you know, they want to do something nice for themselves and wear something cool. And, and you know, a watch is the answer a lot of times. Um, and, you know... But it doesn't just tell time. I mean, if you're getting a nice watch, it's also a little piece of jewelry. It's a statement, Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, and who's done the best job of that, you know, in the world? You, you know, you look at Rolex, I mean, and they do, they do a really nice watch. Um, but they have done a phenomenal job in marketing. Absolutely. Uh, you know, because realistically, I mean, you, you know, what made Rolex cool? James Bond. You know, I mean, he was he was the guy. I mean, when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, I mean, realistically, James Bond was the guy. Sure. You know, and, and um, it, it's kind of funny because if you look at... The fact that Omega has started to come down that path today in the last 10, 15 years um, of being w- one of the players in the in the, the new watch industry. Um, and about 10 years ago, James Bond started wearing an Omega. Ah. I mean, think about that. For, I mean, I think that that's okay. a little bit more than a coincidence. Now, typically the message that I send people when I, when I leave the house is beat me up and take my lunch money. <laughs> Do you have a watch that would change that statement to maybe, you know, I'm, I'm a little cooler? Well, you know, it's funny. Like the, I don't. It's funny you say that because I, you know, when I go out, ninety-nine percent of the time, I'm not putting on strapping on a solid gold Rolex, and there's a reason for that. You know, you, you walk into a, you know, go out to a yard sale or go into an antique store, and somebody looks down at your wrist, and here's a shocker: if they see a solid gold Rolex, the price doesn't right. go down. <laughs> you know. So I mean, I, you know, like I'm wearing a watch today from the 1940s. It's a cool it's a, looking. It's it's cool looking. It's what they call a um, a military canteen watch. It was the early um, you know, effort at making a watch waterproof for U.S. Navy divers. Um, if you're not a watch guy, you don't know it. You may look at it and look at it. It's cool. And, yeah, you okay. know something's going on. If, if yeah. anything, you can start a conversation with that. My goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but it's not It's not the kind of thing that somebody looks down at your wrist and says. <laughs> Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. <laughs> okay. What is the most expensive watch that you own? I've got a, um, a platinum hourglass-shaped, um, what they call a Patek Philippe, um, it was a watch that was – it's actually inscribed on the back. Um, it was given as a gift um, from Howard Johnson, which you may know the name, to a, oh, friend, of, to a friend of his for 40 years of friendship in 1957. Um, 
cool watch. You know, it, it looks like an hourglass on your wrist. Um, um, original dial, original face, original crystal, original box, original platinum buckle. Just a how much? I turned thirty-five thousand dollars down on my wrist. Turned it uh, down, you know. Wow. I, and I, it's you know, it's it's my watch. I'm not going to lie. For thirty-five thousand dollars, they nice can have car. the hand that's attached to the wrist as well. I mean, everybody, and and and, and you know, shockingly, I, I don't. I don't wear it out, you know, particularly, you know, like water skiing or, you know, banging nails or things like that. I, that may shock people, but, um, it, you know, it's – but the, the reality of it is when I bought the watch, I bought it as an investment and I was going to just flip it and make money. And I thought, you know, something – you're never going to see that one piece of history again. I'll, I'll never find another one of these. You know, and that's that's my only challenge with this is trying to do this as a business. Is here's a shocker. I want to keep the cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, Speaking so. of shockers, why don't we just briefly discuss the cigar that we're smoking? Because Good. this that's is right. a cigar show. I, I forgot to, to even mention we're going to have Christian Aroa on. Christian Lewis Aroa and his new cigar that he came out with two days ago, which was his birthday on 0705. If you know the Camacho brand 0705, that size 0705 was Christian's birthday, or is Christian's birthday. Well, it happens to be his 40th birthday, and he has started his own new company. He sold off to Davidoff, started his new company, and the new company gets launched two days ago. These were overnighted to us, so here they are here, and this is the CLE. And how do you say that word in Spanish before I mess Quarenta. Which means 40. It's his 40th birthday. So uh, give him one of these to everybody. Well, we have Jasmine go around and pass one over. Jasmine, everybody. you want to be our pretty we girl? A, we got a pretty girl here. There you go. <laughs> she came in and addressed the other day and stopped traffic. <laughs> it was awesome. This is uh, this is his 40th uh, birthday cigar, so we'll give that a try. Uh, Beautiful-looking uh, brown band on it. We'll later on go on to the black band, which is the Corojo, and then a whole other uh, line of cigars after that. We'll have Christian on in the next hour. But uh, Which brings me to uh, what I wanted to discuss with you. I know your watch is not only uh, here uh, at Two Guys in Seabrook today, and you go around with them, but um, TVs, TV shows and stuff have to look for things like this, like Boardwalk Empire. Right. Right. So, so how did that come about? Well, it's 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 funny you ask. We started. Um, there's a a, uh, a local flea market down in uh, Rowley that we do a couple of times a year, and I'm set up down there, my wife and I. And um, I've got a young lady who comes by and and is looking at the women stuff. And frankly, women, I don't know what it is, but women don't seem to collect watches as much. So I'm you know I'm paying very close attention. And she buys a watch and and uh, asks for a receipt and says, you know, can you get stuff that's time specific? And I said, sure. Well, you know, what are you looking for? And she said, well, I'm working on a pilot. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a costume designer. We're working on this pilot down in New York. And and I'd never heard of Boardwalk Empire. No, it hadn't been on yet, right? You know, um, so she says, well, we're looking for some stuff from the 20s. I said, cool. So I, my daughter's living in Manhattan. It's a cheap excuse to go down. I pack sure. up a bunch of women's watches. We go down. They look them over. They buy. 20 or so. Nice. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and I'm stubborn about that kind of stuff because I've got some gorgeous women stuff. And, and that stuff is getting melted at a much greater rate because there aren't as many women collectors. Yeah. And, I, and I joke with guys all the time and say, hey, listen, think about this for just a minute. There's always another birthday or Christmas coming. So, you know, hey, come on, we'll get you a nice woman's watching. And the beautiful thing, the, the gold stuff, you can buy some stunning women's stuff for no, no, no money. 
You know, I've got some some solid gold woman stuff over there from the 20s opening up at $300. No kidding. You know, I've got, you know, gold-filled stuff that's in the $50, $60, $70 range. Is, is it now. also because silver got really popular? I mean, it's all about silver right now for, for men, women's jewelry, men's jewelry. It's... Yeah, I, I, I honestly think about the women's watches. I think one of the challenges is that the fashion for women's watches from, the like, the 30s until, like, the 70s is they're tiny. You know, the faces are the size of your, your, yeah, your yeah. pinky nail. I think by the time a woman can afford an, an, a nice one, she can't read it. Yeah. So, Isn't I mean, that interesting? <laughs> you know? Isn't that interesting? So, I say, so, really what my market is is I need a girl who's in her 20s who can still read something that size who's driving a BMW. Not such a big market. Yeah. You know, um, but the what what – Usually what I spend most of my time in is vintage stuff in the men's from 1960s back into the 20s. And, of course, pocket watches back into the, you know, into the 1800s. Now that uh, people have cell phones they carry all the time and the, obviously the, the um, time is on the cell phone, less watches is... You know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because it, you see a lot of particularly younger guys that just don't wear a watch. You know, but a, again, I, I think what the answer to that is is the fact that I noticed, at least in my business, is the fact that the upper-end stuff goes bang, 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 bang. The, the middle-grade stuff, because there's, A, there's so much of it out there, and, B, because a lot of young guys aren't wearing, you know, watches or haven't gotten into that. Um, it, it, that's a little bit more of a struggle. But when you, I think what it boils down to with a guy is you get to a certain point in life and you just want to do something nice for yourself. And, yeah, and yeah. what is it? Okay, it's a, maybe it's a cool car. I'd buy Maybe a cod a, piece. Yeah, there you go. I was going to, you know. <laughs> Can I do they change have seats here? Just yeah, yeah. Do they have those with, with timepieces on them? You know, but, uh, you know, and a lot of guys get into I joke with people. I used to collect vintage cars. Here's a shocker. These are easier to store. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> they sure are. You know? So, but, I mean, it's a, it, they're a little bit of a statement. I, frankly, and I'm probably rationalizing a little bit, I think it's an investment, you know, because... It's not like they're making more of them unless right. you're getting into, you know, the upper end stuff, the big Rolexes and, you know. The I actually have an stuff. employee work for me uh, that works for me, Mikey, over in the Salem store. He has a pocket watch. Yeah. Uh, he carries a pocket watch. And you don't see that. At, and, you know, when, and he does pull it out and people look at him like, wow. Yeah, but they're, they're cool. And people notice that. Today. Yeah. You know, and it's it's kind of like I've got over there in the case of um, one of the first watches you didn't have to wind it. it the first one that came out was Hamilton in 57. Shortly thereafter, Bulova came out with the Accutron series. Um, and it's, a, it's based on tuning fork technology, pre-quartz. Um, but the, the, the cool thing about the ones that became popular, they're called a space view, is they don't have a face on them. So you can actually see the workings of the watch. And it's all these, you know, cool green electronic kind of thing. It's the yeah, kind yeah, of thing yeah. that – and they're not a ton of money. I mean, you know, you can, you can get a running Accutron space view for – South of three hundred bucks, but it's the kind of thing that you wear one of those. People notice that watch, and the value is never going to go down. I, I, if anything, know, the value is going to go up. Here it is. Here, yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just one of those. What year was this? That's early sixties. You know, just a um, just a cool watch. You know, and and um, again, you know, from a from a perspective of, um, you know, they're not. As a matter of fact. Um, Bulova has come out with a reissue of this watch. Now, it's, it's bigger, as with today's styles are, um, but it's very much the same. It's the, uh, it's the Space View series. Almost and, dropped it. Yeah. Almost cost you 300 yeah. I was going to say, you almost owned that, baby. Yeah. Break, obviously, you, break that, it, you bought put, it. Putting that right down. <laughs> you know, but, um, it, yeah, no, I mean, I look Looks at brand new. You know, I, it, the, most of the stuff that I sell at retail, obviously, I clean up, and I want to make Your sure that... stitching is green with the face that's green. It's... 
This is a cool looking watch. Yeah, it is. It's just a cool piece. Yeah. You know, it, it really it is. But what the, would you say the rarest watch that you own is? Well, the paddock goes back to that. But um, it, the neat thing about collecting watches is it doesn't need to be a ton of money, particularly in today's economy. You know, you mentioned pocket watches a few yeah. years ago, uh, a few minutes ago. And um, a couple of years ago, pocket watches are still a, you know, a pretty happening thing as far as collectors are concerned. The challenge today is the fact that when was the last time you saw a guy wear a three-piece suit? Right. You know, so... You and don't I'm, dress up, therefore yeah, you don't need a pocket watch. You know, when I'm 50 years old, my dad gave me a pocket watch for my high school graduation, but I'm like the very tail end of that dog. Yeah. So, you, you know... That's how it all started, I read on your... On your uh, yeah, on the, on the website, yeah. yeah. Um, and and um, it, it's one of the things that kind of kind of got me started. And, and um, I tell people, you know, it, it, I'm kind of proud of it. I just got a website up... Uh, couple of months ago and it's the vintage um and it's i've kind of tried to take up this passion of mine of collecting watches for the last 20 years and and see if i can make a living at it some days good some days yeah, you yeah. know <laughs> not so much but need some more 20 retro movies to come out right? absolutely you know absolutely I, you know I, I need you know another one of these you know um the 20s or 60s you know and and get in there but that's a that's a great business I the, mean, the uh, problem is people dressing up nowadays i mean there's not a lot of that dress up things i showed you you know some things i had from the 70s right you know you look at the watch and you go well i'm sure you had some bell bottoms on at that time and stuff so the fashion change is therefore it gets put aside until that that comes back. Well, and it's it, it's and that's what I joke about pocket watches is you know I need one really good movie or a TV series where a guy's wearing a three piece suit and I'm back in the pocket right. watch business, man. I mean, you know, all of a sudden it becomes cool and, and all the suit and, guys and must back. be thinking the same thing. You know, let's bring back getting dressed up again. Yeah, absolutely. But it's you know what's funny, even guys here. I, I've I've talked with a couple three different guys today that you know have come in and they've bought you know newer hewers. Uh, tags or or you know um, newer Breitlings or Breitlings and and um, you know obviously you know Rolexes in the last ten fifteen twenty years. Um, I, I guess one of the things that that I I look at as far as my business is concerned is I've always liked vintage because I joke my you know the, the house I grew up in was built in 1797 by my family. So I can claim old Yankee. Yeah. Before that, they were Scots. So cheap is in the jeans. It's part of the gig. I mean, it's just one of those things you got to understand about. Yeah. It. You know, you can go out and spend. On an opening Rolex, forty-five hundred bucks. On a used Rolex, same watch, a um, little bit older, but you can probably open up at a thousand. You know, um, vintage, a good vintage seventeen jewel gold-filled Hamilton or steel watch. It's probably about a hundred bucks today, about a hundred oh. and a quarter. Something that's running, that's a statement, that's cool. And you it's know. worth close to that in the metal itself. Oh yeah, it's almost I mean, nothing. It, 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 no cost. You know, I mean, oh my God. You know, I mean, the, the workmanship. And again, you know, that stuff is going away. You know, it's it's not like they're making uh, you know more of those. How about things like Swatch and Mickey Mouse watches? Is there any value to any of that? Uh, you know, they're Swatch collectors. They're not. They're not a ton okay. of money. Um, there are guys who collect character watches. And if you get early stuff, Mickey Mouse is from the '30s. You know, the the early, you know. Um, um, I'm trying to think of his uh, uh, Steamboat Willie. Okay. You know, kind of Mickey Mouse stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're collectible. Um, you get, Not so much in the watch end of it, though, but for the, the Disney collector more well, than you the Well, wa- you get both. Yeah. I, mean, I, I know a guy up in Rochester that, that um, all he collects is, like, Mickey Mouse stuff or Disney stuff. Um, and the good news for him is that once you get into the courts into the 70s and 80s, I mean, they've produced lots and lots and lots of them. So they're not a ton of money. Um, you know, he, he goes out yard selling and he'll buy watches for five, six, seven, eight, ten bucks a piece, you know, and 
good for him. You know, you get into the, the earlier stuff, the 20s, uh, they can be worth a couple hundred bucks. Now, these watches must be working condition type of thing, or is the is watch have a value that only tells the time twice a day that it's only accurate? <laughs> well, I buy that kind of stuff all the time, but yeah. it's, a, it, it, it's a limited market. You know, I'm not going to – and I, I had friends over the house the other day for 4th of July, um, and I pulled out some stuff from my personal collection. There's a couple things that kind of stood out, um, and, and I said to this guy, I said, you know – it's a Hamilton Electric. It's a cool watch. Um, it was it was made in '57, um, and they kind of rushed it to market to um, beat everybody else to the to, to say we're the first watch you don't have to wind. So they were a little bit temperamental in 1957. Oh. Here's a shocker: 60 years has not improved that any. So I said to him, as, "If you're going to wear it as a dress watch, that you're gonna you know you're going to wear a suit and you're going to wear it then and come home and when you're done for the night you're going to put it away." Yeah, I'll sell you one of these. If you think you're going to wear it on a day-to-day basis and six months from now you've banged it and you're going to be upset with me because you want yeah. it, don't go down that path. Not the right thing. Well, listen, know. we actually we need to get to a break because we've got an action-packed show, so the conversation ha- isn't over. It's going to continue here in the store at uh, Two Guys in Seabrook. And, sure. Uh, why don't you say your website one more time? It's www.thevintagewatchman.com. Mike Task of the VintageWatchman.com. He'll be here until 3 o'clock here yep. at the Two Guys Smoke Shop in Seabrook. What, what else do you have if somebody wants to find you out there? What's your schedule looking like? Well, as a matter of fact, um, I don't know anybody who's heard of Brimfield Fair, the Antiques Fair that's coming sure. up. Um, I'm going to be there Tuesday in Brimfield Acres North from 1 to 5. So, yeah, look me up down there. I'd love to see people down there. All right, go by and see him. And it's the VintageWatchman.com. You'll see lots of pictures of the watches up there, his whole story. And thank you so much for coming on, coming on board. Thank you. No worries. Hey, folks, uh, when we come back, he's a doctor, an MD, a PhD, and a scientist, and he has the truth. He has just released a special report, the final report, and we'll launch it here with us. Strap yourself in, cigar-smoking fans. It's official, and it's coming up right after this. You're listening to The Cigar Authority on the United Cigar Retailers Radio Network. I'd like to file a missing persons report. I've lost my one true love. Ah, what does she look like? She is like no other. Her skin, dark, simply gorgeous. Not slender, but firm to the touch. Well, we'll do everything we can for you, sir. The night we met over a fine scotch, it was love at first sight. Details. I need details, sir. Well, she's about five and a half inches tall. You mean five feet tall? No, inches. Oh, she's a mid... a dwarf. uh, A little person. No. She's a cigar. Ah, right, sir. Is she a Fleur de Lorraine cigar? The cigar that men around the world are falling in love with? Yes. Oh, I've seen this before. Louie! Yeah? Uh, get him a Fleur de Lorraine cigar and a list of United Cigar retailers to carry it. Fleur de Lorraine cigars. Simply gorgeous. Available only at appointed United Cigar retailers across the country. Fleur de Lorraine. Stop missing out. Mr. Jonathan, a shadowed figure spinning tunes on records that do not exist. Mr. Jonathan, a young cigar smoker on a crusade to champion the oldies, top 40, and yes, even country with a host of DJs that operate above the mix. Mr. Jonathan is my dance instructor. 
Mr. Jonathan is my DJ. Mr. Jonathan is me. Mr. Jonathan is my DJ.com, your one stop shop for everything DJ and sound production. Mr. Jonathan is my DJ.com. It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number no. 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper. Fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lining up the Diamond Crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium diamond crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium diamond crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or a diamond crown lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co. or visit diamondcrown.com. You're listening to David Garofalo and Mr. Jonathan on the Cigar Authority. And they wanted me to tell you about the Cigar Station. It's the world's first 24-7 radio station, custom programmed for cigar smokers and lovers of the good life. Enjoy cool tunes from familiar artists. Everyone from Van Morrison, Phil Collins, and Dave Matthews to Paul Simon, Sade, and Tony Bennett. And stay informed with Cigar College, Cigar News and Reviews, and Smoke Breaks. Interviews with cigar-loving celebrities and industry personalities. Give us a listen. The Cigar Station at thecigarstation.com. There was a time when cigars were the hallmark of elegance and success. In this time gone by, the aficionado would revel in opening a beautiful box, only to find their favorite celebratory smoke emblazoned with a heritage-laden band. It's time to put the bundle down and travel back to this golden age. For your voyage, may we humbly suggest the only cigar worthy of being packaged in a handmade marble box. Berlin Wall Series from Hammer and Sickle. Live well. Welcome back, folks. This is the Cigar Authority. Uh, with us, we have the ultimate insider. He's a doctor, an MD with a PhD, and a scientist, and he has the truth that he has just released in a special report, the final report that he will launch with us right now. So strap yourselves in, cigar smoking fans. It's official. With us, and I'll tell you, he sat down, and the first thing he did is light up a cigar, the new CLE, which was a great start right off the bat. But he's with us. This is Dr. Mark S. Mikosi. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, first off, um, who are you to be giving this information to us? I mean, what is your credentials to be able to tell us what you're about to tell us? Well, I'm a physician with an MD uh, for University of Pennsylvania. I also got a master's there in epidemiology and biostatistics, and uh, then I got a PhD in biomedical anthropology working with Nobel laureate Mary Blumberg, who got the Nobel Prize in 1976. And uh, since then, I, I worked at the National Cancer Institute. I worked at Walter Reed Medical Center. Uh, I ran a clinical center at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, and then in 2005, I went into private practice and started concentrating on, on publishing. I published textbooks for the health professions uh, that were actually 
our lead textbook is going into a fifth edition this summer. Okay, so you obviously have the credentials, and you worked for the Cancer Institute. Yes. So um, why did you do what you're about to tell us? Well, the uh, new effort that we have here, and you can get all the information at the, the website, which is www dot insiders 101.com and that's been set up just for your listeners oh beautiful uh, it's just as i look back over the years the the just accumulation of you know misinformation and misdirection and you know incompetence on the part of the federal government if you think it's limited to the gsa or the dea and the stuff we've been hearing about lately right. fast and furious you know unfortunately the health activities which we would like to think are are not subject to politics are not subject to bureaucracy unfortunately what i found is that we've got all kinds of problems in the government health agencies in terms of the information that we're given and the political agendas that they pursue uh, whether they have the science to back it up or not. There's problems anytime you put the word government in front of anything. Well, that's, well, and you were an insider, though. You were inside, so you know this factual because you saw this happen right in front of your face. I worked for the government. I was a senior scientist at the National Cancer Institute. I was an associate director uh, at the uh, medical center at Walter Reed uh, for 20 years. And then uh, until 2005, I was actually you know, working on different projects f- funded by the government, and some of the agencies are better than others in terms of trying to get it information that's actually going to be helpful to doctors in their medical practices and to consumers who are trying to figure out what's the legitimate information behind uh, the truth, the, the truth, basically the science. <laughs> yeah, the, the, and, and it's it's terrible to get in the way of the science and the truth of of of, of a matter like this. But this is going to be something that uh, we're about to say the information, the science of uh, smoking, uh, the real deal of what's happening. But the problem is going to be that I wonder if the media is going to even pick up on it because they don't want the truth. Well, the mainstream media has been part of the problem. And, in fact, if you go to this website, uh, insiders101.com, we have a whole report on, on the problem with the media. Uh, and, you know, obviously, they have, a, they have a certain bias, you know, in terms of the, the politics. They, they seem to kind of think it's a great idea for the government to be telling us what to do oh. and to be controlling our behavior. And they don't have the sense or the knowledge to be able to discriminate legitimate findings uh, from, you know, the latest press release. Right. Uh, so part of what we guide our people to do is how do you read the news reports to sift through, uh, you know, something that's just a press release versus something that's truly a scientific finding. Yeah. All right. So let's get down to the meat of this. Let's talk about what it is. It's the day science went up in smoke. This is the insider's uh, story by you that you're releasing right now. If you want to see it for yourself, it's insiders101.com. But uh, that's it. Come right down and tell us what the story is here. Well, it's in terms of the, the government information that's given out about smoking, for my direct experience, it was like a one-two punch. The, the first punch was in 1984. I first went to the National Cancer Institute to study the effects at, at that point of diet and cancer. That was considered a new idea, that diet could have an influence on cancer. Um, and uh, when I was there, uh, they made an announcement that basically in the future, when it came to lung cancer, all of the government research funding and projects would all be directed not to understanding the basic biology of lung cancer, but to entirely focus on smoking only 
and to focus on smoking cessation and smoking prevention. This is where they're going to put the money. That's where they put the money. Follow the money. So there, there, at that point, there had been no study. This was all just uh, conjecture on their part. They said, okay, we're going to go offensive on this and say it's, a, it's caused by smoking with no research. Well, as the only thing that they were going to consider, when in fact, you know, the facts are, uh, if you're interested as a scientist, yes, one out of ten people, you know, who are chronic smokers will get lung cancer. But what about the nine out of ten who don't? I mean, as, <laughs> as a scientist, you're why does this person not get lung cancer? You why know, do why 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 ninety percent of them? Ninety percent of them, right? I mean, that that's sort of what's staring you in the face. And we know that the you know the lung has enzyme systems that I study, things like alpha one antitrypsin, other enzymes that protect the lung. The immune system is involved in different ways in different people. So there's a lot of protections in the lung against inhaling smoke. Humans have been inhaling smoke probably for a million years since yeah. the discovery of fire. Sure. You know, building fires, living in shelters. Uh, you know, people get a lot more carbon monoxide exposure in traditional dwellings, whether it's in a Native Fireplace, American teepee right? or the northern islands of, of Hokkaido in Japan. They're, they get tremendous levels of carbon monoxide just from, you know, the, their normal use of fire. And so you've got to ask yourself as a scientist... Not just what smoking can can do to harm the lung, but what does the lung do to protect it? And that that's a scientific question. Now you have the other side of the story. Okay, one out of ten smokers get lung cancer, but one out of a hundred non-smokers get lung cancer. So, so there's another big question. Right. If you're going to say smoking is the one and only cause of cancer, what about the one out of a hundred people that never smoke and still get lung cancer. What do we do about them? Donna Summer, you know, from right. was Somerville, Massachusetts. Yes. She just died. She had the, the so-called non-smoker's lung cancer. So doctors, pathologists, and they know there's a non-smoker's lung cancer. What's causing that? You know, we'll, we'll never know because since no. 1984, it's been all about a campaign against tobacco in all its forms, in all its doses, and that's the other side of the story. Okay, now something else you, you, you put in the report that um, there's actually proof and evidence that it actually may have a health benefit. We did a study uh, that was published in uh, 1988 in the American Journal of Public Health with you know great researchers, a young team of scientists who just took a fresh look at the data. And, you know, of course... When you look at a very, very, very large study, you're able to break... This is people. monograph number nine? Um, which was this monograph number nine? The uh, National Cancer Institute's monograph number nine. Well, th- there have been there have been several several publications. The the one that we did uh, is by Albanus uh, and Mikozi and, and other folks in the American Journal of Public Health. Okay. And uh, it's been out there for you know over twenty years. Yeah, but you know, no, they're not talking about it. Well, That's they're for not sure. talking about it, but you know. In, in a sense, you, you find what you want to find. You know, we, we started out doing this study not to look at the effects of smoking on cancer per se because that was pretty well, you know, understood. Uh, we wanted to see the effects of smoking on body weight because, you know, body weight is a, is a big issue. Sure. And now, of course, the latest government war is going to be on obesity. And we'll see if they do any better with, you know, the war on obesity as they've done with the war on cancer and... The, the war on salt and lots yeah. of other things that they've taken off on. But uh, we had such a large study, we were able to break people down. So normally the study takes just, I, I smoke or I'm, I'm a non-smoker. Right. And you compare those two groups. And clearly when you compare that, smokers have 
certain health problems, yeah. uh, you know, compared to non-smokers. This study was so big, we broke it down. Cigar smoking only, pipe smoking only. And then among cigarette smokers, we broke people down by half a pack a day. And so lo and behold, I mean, what the National Cancer Institute wanted to see was, yeah, if you go to a pack a day, two packs a day, three packs, the more you smoke, the more health problems you have. Like anything else, Like anything else. Right. If you drink too much water, you drown. Well, it's like anything. You know, things in moderation, you know, an adult who makes a judgment about how to behave themselves, you know, you can stay out of lots of trouble by using moderation. It doesn't mean you have to be an abolitionist or a prohibitionist. Right. And, you know, you, you can just be an adult and use your judgment about moderation as in all things. The thing that we found that was interesting is that if you take that group that's half a pack a day, 10 cigarettes a day or less, they really wasn't a health effect that we could find. Isn't that amazing? Except they were actually uh, closer to maintaining a healthy body weight. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it, it helps you. It because helps they, you. they didn't eat a lot of crappy foods. They smoked a cigarette instead. Maybe it was that. Maybe there's a metabolic yeah. effect. I mean, nicotine is a very you know, powerful and, and a very physiologic substance. There's receptors all over the body for nicotine. And, and then the Native Americans had that figured out sure. 500 years ago and more. Yeah. And and so it has an effect on your metabolism. All right. Now, seeing this is a cigar show, right. how does it, the effect have it on smoking some cigars? <clears throat> well, we looked at people who smoked only cigars and only pipes. Overall, they had lower death rates and lower disease rates than non-smokers. Now, there was a higher rate of, you know, something like lip cancer, oral cancer. But overall, in terms of all the other common diseases, they had a lower rate of death and disease. So for some reason, it made you live a little bit longer if you smoke cigars or a pipe. That, that's that's, what, is that's a layman's term, That's right? what we found. And, 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 in addition and, and why the, would you think that could even be possible? Well, what I, you know, as an anthropologist, yeah. you know, I know the history of tobacco, that the Native Americans, of course, it comes from the New World. It comes from the Americas. Somewhere along the line, the civilizations that have been here for thousands of years before the Europeans arrived learned about tobacco. And, you know, any place that Native Americans started doing agriculture, yeah, they grew corn, they grew, you know, squash, they grew a lot of important foods, tomatoes, a lot of things that were not in Europe until 500 years ago. But no matter where you go, the the moment a Native American group settled down to do agriculture, they grow tobacco. And, in fact, I went down to the Amazon in 1994 with the World Council of Indigenous Peoples to see what we could do about some of the disease problems – and some of the traditional tribes, like the Yanomami, you may have heard of those. Yeah. They're like a Stone Age tribe. They've been called the Fierce People. Uh, they never did agriculture because they were hunters. But they began to settle down on the riverbank of the Orinoco River and to grow some things. And the first thing they would grow was tobacco. Because to them, it's sacred. It's a medicine. It's not something they abuse you know, they know how to use it. They feel like in moderation it actually helps them. It helps them. And, you know, if we understand the, the effects, it, it creates a relax. It's kind of a stimulant, but at the same time it's relaxing. Now, we think, well, you know, if you look at drugs, you've got drugs that relax you and we have drugs that stimulate you. But the amazing thing in nature is that there are herbs, lots of herbs, that they stimulate you and can relax you at the same time. It's, it's an amazing kind of property in nature that we can't replicate in actual drugs. And one of them is tobacco. And tobacco is one of those things that the Native Americans used as a powerful remedy. 
We're talking with Dr. S. Marcosi. He's an MD, a PhD, and a scientist, and he's here giving us the Insider 101 of um, the real deal of what's happening uh, with cigars, cigarette smoking, and that it's actually not a bad thing for you in moderation. And what we're learning right now is that uh, smoking cigars, smoking a pipe, can prolong your life a little more than if you didn't smoke at all. According to the study that we did, and, you know, a similar surprise came with alcohol at about the same time. Uh, People found that they began to see actually originally from France. Right. It was called the French paradox. You know, they smoke more, they drink more, they eat the the rich foods, the cheeses, the pate, although now they've they've outlawed, you know, the government's protecting us again in California. Right. They've outlawed the liver pate, the pate foie gras which, of course, is, again, used in moderation. But by the, the French, French live longer than us. But the, Fre- the French have lower disease, live longer, even though they do all the wrong things. According and to the government, the wrong the, things. According to our government, right? As opposed to according to doctors and scientists and medical people that know differently. If you follow the science. The problem with the doctors is, you know, the average doctor is, is overwhelmed today, especially with, again, the government, this Obamacare coming right. down on everybody. Nine out of ten doctors honestly do not have the time to go in and the research in the medical literature and to really understand it for them. Nine out of ten doctors get their information from the same place as everyone else does because yeah. they don't have the time. They're overwhelmed. And the, actually, the American Medical Association did a study about ten years ago. Ninety-one percent of doctors do not get the information they use from the actual medical literature and the scientific reports. What do they do, Google it? Well, they, they, <laughs> well, they, get they it go from, on Wikipedia. They yeah. get it from the drug salesman. And, oh, and they my get God. It, they get it from the New York Times. Again, like, you know, follow the money, and you see yeah, what the problem is with the, with the whole thing. The whole, so I, I want to know the real deal, no matter good or bad. I want to know the science of what well, it is. One of the reasons that we set up this, this website is, to, is not just smoking. It's anything you want to look at, whether it's salt and blood pressure, saturated fats and heart disease. You know, we're told this stuff by the government. Most doctors just accept it like most people do, and the science isn't there. The no. science does not support the millions of dollars the government spends spreading this information. So you guys looking for information, I'm going to say the website again uh, for our listeners, www.insiders101.com. 101. What about secondhand smoke or well, thirdhand that smoke? that was sort of, you know, again, the story that led me to, to what we're doing now. This, the second blow, you know, the one-two punch, the first was all research going to smoking cessation and prevention. Forget the biology of lung cancer. We'll never know any more than we knew in 1984. The second blow was in the early 90s when I was working. Uh, you know, we, actually, I have to say, we, I think we did a lot of good things in the 1980s uh, in the Reagan administration. I worked... The Secretary of Health was a physician, Otis Bowen. The Undersecretary was a pharmacist, Don Newman. The Surgeon General was actually a surgeon, C. Everett Coop. Yeah. <laughs> instead Very of, interesting. Okay, yeah, that's instead of a politician. <laughs> right. right. And, you know, it's like, boy, the public health people didn't want a real surgeon as the Surgeon General because he wasn't. Well, get in the way. Just another bureaucrat. Yeah, get in the way. But Dr. Coop is actually 96 years old. He lives up in Dartmouth, uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, at Dartmouth University, still teaching. And God he, bless the guys a God day. Bless Why him. not, right? And he's not far from here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he always says, he, well, instead of retiring to Florida, or he went to Dar- Dartmouth College, you know, as, okay. a, as, a, as a student. And uh, when he says, why, uh, why, you know, did you go to 
New Hampshire retire, he says, live free or die. Ah. <laughs> Which is really what the bottom line has got to be at this point. But, so is there is there anything to secondhand smoke? Well, the thing that, that finally drove me out of the government uh, was that moment that I went down to the headquarters of HHS, Health and Human Services, um, after having worked with folks during the 80s, getting a lot of good things done. Uh, we were into a new administration then, and so, you know, there were some changes, and I was there to... Uh, talk about launching a, a, a effort to educate the public about health in general, you know, which I'm now finally doing through this website. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was on time for the meeting, but they were running late, and so you know, one of the guys stepped out and he said, "Come on and join us, you know, join us in this conversation." And they were talking about the latest results of a big study that had been done on secondhand smoke, you know, when you're exposed to somebody else's. Yep. And the, the statistics were, they were equivocal. In other words, there was, you couldn't say for sure whether there was any effect of secondhand smoke or whether there really was an effect. And they sort of made an executive says, well, let's, let's say that there's an effect. That's it? Cause, cause Let, we're, let's say. Because we're here to protect, we're, protect, we're protecting the public. See, we all thought it was, it, now you, you, you know. Insider. You got a perfect name for this because you were the insider. You were in the room. I, when this I, I, was, I got there on time, and I really wasn't supposed <laughs> to be in that discussion. But, you know, they were finishing up before they got to my, my topic. This is historic. And this I saw this crazy. to myself, and, I, you know, I said, that's amazing, you know. And, and the answer was, well, this way, you know, we have a tradition. We, we used to have a tradition, at least, you know, until 20 years ago, where you were allowed to engage in some behavior if you were only harming yourself. Right. And that, you know, we weren't going to interfere with your rights if you choose to harm yourself. But if you're harming somebody else, that's when, you know. That's what the government should that, be for. That, that's exactly right. So this job. is the way they're going to so shut it down. So this is to say, look, you know, so far the evidence on smoking says, yeah, if you smoke too much, you're hurting yourself. But now we had the smoking gun to say if you smoke, you're hurting somebody else. And so now we need the government to protect you. And, uh, and it, but it was based on science that wasn't proven. Now, of course, since then they've done a lot of other studies, and there are some effects of secondhand smoke in, in young children, you know, exposed to parents and other things. But to have to go to the extremes of, you know, shutting down restaurants and putting people out on the street. I remember I went to Ireland um, the last time I was out of the country. Uh, I think the next time I go out of the country, I may not come back, depending upon what happens in November. But <laughs> the last time I was out of the country, actually, coming to New Hampshire is a little bit like getting a vacation Absolutely. from the rest of the country. So that's what I do, yeah. you know, all the time. But, uh, you know, I, we were in Ireland in 2004, and we happened to hit the day that they put the law in banning cigarette smoking in, in pubs. pubs. Yes. And, man, people were going crazy. A lot of people out of business right now. A lot of places shut of, down. The country the, shut the down. Mom and, and that's the other thing I wonder about. You know, the, the backbone of, of the country has always been the entrepreneurs. You yeah. know, the, the mom and pop people, the retailers, you know. And if you wanted to spend many, many years in school, you could go into private practice as a doctor or a lawyer or one of these areas and, and be, you know, somewhat independent. Yeah. If you didn't want to spend all that time in school and that wasn't your, your thing, you could still you know, open a shop, whether it was a mom-and-pop coffee shop, a retail store. And that was another way of being an entrepreneur, running a business. Sure. And, and we're just we're losing it. We're just losing well, it. Well, the government makes it so it's almost impossible to, to do business. I, I'm in the retail tobacco business. I have been for 27 years. And let me tell you. If I was to come back in another life, this would be not the direction because it's like operating with two hands tied behind my back. They make it so impossible to deal with, and, and uh, anything else would have been easier. 
And, and the problem is, instead of having an intelligent approach to say, yeah, don't smoke too much, don't drink too much, don't, I mean, we don't eat too many fats, that's fine. But with, when it comes to smoking, it's not don't smoke too much, it's no, you're not allowed to smoke at all, period. And, so and the, outlaw the it. Why don't they outlaw it? Yeah, completely. You know well, why they don't outlaw well, it? Because of the federal taxes. Yes, the state it's taxes. the money. It goes yeah. back to money again. The, so you hear in this uh, secondhand smoke crap that gets thrown away, you decide at that point, I'm out? I just, well, I was shocked that, you know, I mean, on the one hand, at the time, I'm thinking, well, okay, this is good for public health because, you know, too much smoking, just like too much drinking, is not a good thing. But, you know, that's 20 years ago. And, I mean, since then I've reflected on this, and it's just so shocking that people that are supposed to be the top scientists, that are supposed to be able to tell the Congress the truth, that are supposed to be able to tell the media the truth, just become politicians, just become bureaucrats. They're not doctors anymore. They're not scientists anymore. They're just politicians. Well, this is big news. I can't thank you enough for sharing it with us and sharing this information with everybody out there. If you want to get more of the information here, it's www.insiders101. Those are numbers, 101, insiders101.com. And um, excuse me. And um, we're going to look into this more. We'd love to have you on again. I mean, this is great information. We're going to study it. We're going to tell the whole world if we can. And, you know, smoking's part of it, but when it comes to things we've been told about salt, about saturated fats, about iron, uh, all this stuff the government's been telling us, the science doesn't back it up. So if you want the science, if you want the insider's real deal, go onto that website and find it. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to announce it to you every chance we get. We're going to have to go to break right now. When we get back, Christian Aroa has turned 40 years old two days ago. And with that is his new cigar company, his new cigars. We're smoking them all today. Stay tuned. Christian joins us with all the details when we get back. You are listening to the Cigar Authority on the United Cigar Retailers Radio Network. This is David Garofalo of Two Guys Smoke Shop, and we're proud to say Two Guys is the largest family-owned cigar retailer in America. I've been there many times before, David. It's true. It is stogie heaven. Two Guys has three locations, all conveniently located off Exit 1 and all right over the Taxachusetts border in New Hampshire. Take Route 93 to Salem, Route 95 to Seabrook, or Route 3 to Nashua, because for cigars, every highway leads to Two Guys Smoke Shop. Two Guys Rock. cigar tax or sales tax in New Hampshire, and coincidentally, we have built three glorious cigar shops right over the border. Coincidentally, huh? It's no accident, and just one of the reasons Two Guys is the largest cigar retailer in America. Two Guys Rock. cigar selection. Again, the biggest and best, I'm proud to say. Make the pilgrimage to Two Guys Smoke Shop in tax-free Salem, Nashua, or Seabrook, New Hampshire, or find them on the web at twoguyssmokeshop.com. It's stogie heaven. You like Robusto, I'll take a Toro. You like Oscuro, I'll take Maduro. You like Perfecto, I'll take Torpedo. Sit back, relax, it's Two Guys
people. We've just been awarded the Brickhouse Ad Account. Now, this cigar was named Best Bargain Cigar of 2009 by Cigar Aficionado. Got a 91 rating. Plus, it's the hottest cigar on the market. So, we need an award-winning slogan. He's a brick. <laughs> what about It's Not Your Grandfather's Cigar? Ah, it's been done. Next. How about Good to the Last Draw? Ah, something original, people. You deserve a brick today? <laughs> Who are you? Do you even work here? Excuse me, sir. Am I to understand that every Brickhouse cigar is built with all the flavor and quality of the premium cigars of yesteryear? Yesteryear? Really? That's right, Bixby. But yeah, it costs around five bucks each. Indeed? Well, sir, people don't really need a slogan. They don't? No, sir. Then what do they need? Five bucks and a comfortable chair. Five bucks and a comfortable chair, genius! Meet the perfect cigar to share with friends. Brickhouse by J.C. Newman. Handmade in Nicaragua with a fine Havana Subido wrapper. Brickhouse starts out earthy and crisp and burns well-rounded and smooth. Nothing stands the test of a good time like a Brickhouse. For more, visit BrickhouseCigars.com. All right, listen up. If you've been feeling stuck in life, unmotivated, procrastinating, and just flat-out frustrated with the same old results and routines, consider this your wake-up call. The fact of the matter is you control your destiny, not your boss, your company, the government, or anyone else outside of yourself. With responsibility comes power. My name is Chuck Morrison, owner and founder of MakingMountainsMove.com. Since 2009, I've been helping ordinary people from around the globe achieve extraordinary results. Authors, app developers, business owners, speakers, trainers, coaches, all just ordinary people until they plugged into the Triple M movement. Now it's your turn. This is about unleashing your legacy. If you've ever had that calling, that burning desire to raise your game and start living life at a higher level, the wait is finally over. End the frustration. Crush the procrastination. Say goodbye to fear, doubt, and worry forever. Check out the fastest growing movement inside the personal development industry. Check out Making Mountains Move. Mr. Jonathan here from the Cigar Authority. Every Saturday morning during my preparation for the radio show, I head over to visit my friend Scott at Moe's Italian Sandwiches here in Salem, New Hampshire. Scott makes my sandwich fresh right when I order it and makes it exactly how I want it. When I'm running too late to visit Scott in person, I simply pick up the phone and call 603-912-5336, and Scott delivers it to me himself. Delivery is free and is available every day. Moe's is located right behind Two Guys Smoke Shop in Salem, New Hampshire at 5 Kelly Road. The next time you are hungry or need to feed your son's football team, please do me a personal favor and call my good friend Scott, 603-912-5336, and tell him that Mr. Jonathan sent you. Remember, you can't say no to a mo. In a world where the success of a cigar brand is recognized by its flavor comes two that go head-to-head. One man smoking two cigars at the same time. Two rappers united in name, but separated by taste. One cigar known as the natural. The natural is no lightweight. It boasts full flavor and taste. The United Cigar Natural. Now comes the Maduro. Darker and even more bolder. With in-your-face flavor. United Cigar. Nothing could prepare you for what awaits you in the box. Both box pressed. Both 65 million years in the making. Uh, that may be wrong. Well, I'm going with it anyway. Action. 
adventure, and bromance. That's right. Bromance. United Cigar. Available in natural or Maduro. Available only at appointed United Cigar retailer shops nationwide. Rated D for delicious. Under 18, not admitted even with a parent. United Cigars. You don't have to choose. Smoke them both. This is the Cigar Authority. Go, Harry. Go! The authority on everything cigar. That's what I'm talking about! Featuring cigar celebrities from every major cigar brand. Hey, I see some serious Awesome. With your host, David Garoppolo. Do you know who I am? This is the guy behind the guy behind the guy. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. And Mr. Jonathan. Mr. 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 I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. It's time for the Cigar Authority. Look at what we have here. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. Who wants to have some fun? And we're back live from Two Guys Smoke Shop in Seabrook, New Hampshire. If you want to come down, we have the Vintage Watchman here, and he's showing off his collection uh, for sale. Uh, if you bring your own watches down, Buys, he'll come and... he trades, he does it all. He's Appraises. got stuff from the uh, turn of the century, 1900s, uh, all the way up, and uh, some great stuff to look at. Uh, I think we just made history just minutes ago. I'll tell you, that guy Mark's got it going on. I mean, for a scientist, he just puts it out there in layman's terms. I was afraid of that. I was afraid that he, he was going to talk way over my head, which yeah. isn't hard to do. Yeah, but, it, uh, any more than two <laughs> syllables and you get lost. <laughs> But it was good. Uh, he could be I, a regular segment on the show, man. He sure is. Once a month, man, that'd be awesome. So uh, I, I think I think we got historic. That's um, insiders101.com, the real story of secondhand smoke, the real story of uh, pipe and cigar smoking. It's even, actually good for you. Even cigarettes, 10 cigarettes a day, and there's a statistical dead even. Yeah, the, the whole, smokers. everything in moderation is the key to life. Uh, your, your grandfather, I was just telling him about your grandfather, 92? 94. 94. This summer. And when he's up, we're going to sit down and we're going to smoke a couple cigars together. He smokes a lot of cigars, more than I do. Smoke six a day, man. And Plus three fingers of scotch every day. Moderation. Everything yeah. in moderation. If, if he probably had 20 fingers of scotch, he'd be an alcoholic. Maybe there'd be an issue. Right. So, anyway. Right. Let's quickly go through the radio stations. We got WWZN AM 1510, The Revolution, Boston. WGHM 900, The Game in Nashua, New Hampshire. WARL 1320, Positive Energy in Providence, Rhode Island. WGAM 1250, ESPN Radio in Manchester, New Hampshire. We've got the Cigar Station at thecigarstation.com, replaying our show from 11 to 1 and 11 to 1 every single Sunday, day and night. You don't have to just listen live. You can actually watch what we got going on. And we got it going on today. We got it going on. Right at thecigarauthority.com. And we're always podcasted for your downloading and listening convenience. So when you have those naysayers that say smoking is bad for you, you direct them directly to today's show, and you'll be able to let them know the truth. Okay, I'm going to put my cigar down right now. This was the CLE, the brown band one. Well, how would you pronounce that again? Quarentia which is 40, Christian Aroa's 40th birthday. We're going to move on to the Corojo, which uh, when I think of Christian, I think of Corojo cigars because he's the guy that really brought Corojo back years ago with his Camacho brand. That's funny because when I think about love, I think about you. Yeah, why not? Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, and on the air, do we have Christian? We do. On the air, we have Christian Aroa. He, uh, you may know him from uh, the brand Camacho that came out years ago. Uh, he has sold his company since to the folks at Davidoff. And his birthday just two days ago launched his brand-new cigar company and his brand-new cigar brand, CLE, that stands for Christian Louis Aroa. And on the line with us is Christian. Christian, are you there? 
Yes, sir. I'm right here. How you guys doing? Awesome, awesome. Thank you. You you hold a couple of uh, uh, things with us that uh, you were actually on the first uh, uh, Cigar Authority show two and a half years ago. So thank you for that. Also, but I'm happy to have you on as you launch your new cigar. We get the first interview with you. And uh, thank you so much for it. You overnighted these cigars to us this morning. We have them. We just lit up the brown label one. Uh, tell us about it. First of all, it's five bucks to you, Dave, if you can pronounce the name right. <laughs> Just think of quarantine. Quarantine. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, this cigar, we're really celebrating my, my uh, 40th birthday with this cigar. We wanted to go. Part of what I ended up experiencing working these new blends is a different level of maturity as I begin to blend these cigars. As you know, in the past, I was more known for the full-body cigars. This time I wanted to go, still maintain a lot of body, but flavor and complexity was most on my mind when I was working on these blends, and that ends up being the end result. So we have cigars, most of the tobacco is from Honduras and the Cuarenta, and the main difference between the Cuarenta and the CLE Coro will be mainly the wrapper. It's the wrapper in the Cuarenta will be a, a Navano type seed. It's a lower priming, it's a nice, the uh, clear color Habano uh, wrapper. Whereas the Coro will be more of a darker wrapper, a lot of body to it, and a whole different level of complexity to it altogether. Um, okay, um, we, we smoked a Quarenta. Anything close? Quarenta? That is getting better. Okay, uh, I smoked that, um, and I found it to be, say, straight, medium bodied, very, very beautiful. Uh, uh, handmade. Where did the cigar? Where was the cigar made? Well, that cigar is made was made in Honduras. We have uh, the good people at uh, Davidoff are making at the, at the Camacho factory. Okay. There's no one else I would have trusted with this product. And uh, as far as making it, the tobacco comes from uh, from our farms still, and that, so, so that production is from Honduras. As well as the Corojo will also be made in the exact same factory as well on the same people as, as before and, and the same supervision. You pulled off a good one. You sold your company. You relaunch a company. You make it at the same place. You stayed in good with everybody, which is great. So you got the quality that you know that you actually built the quality production that's happening there. So you got a perfect cigar and all the money. So congratulations <laughs> on that. <laughs> I learned everything from you, Dave. As you know, as everybody out there knows that I said it a million times. You were the first guy I ever pushed with a Camacho product back in, I think it was December 1999. Sure. You were at the test shop for us, and from then everything exploded. So it's thanks to good people like you that we were able to pull this off. And we've also been very fortunate. The people at Davidoff, we have a great relationship with them. They've been nothing but great to us, and we still work together. And um, I'm still somewhat involved with the Camacho product as well. As you know, that's, that's my first true love. So the relationship is still very strong with them. Now, Christian, this is Mr. Jonathan here. I'm, I'm wondering, in, in the first phase of your cigar career, is it true that you would be considered sort of a, uh, I don't know, you had like cigar neurosis. You'd release the product at, at two guys, and it would sell for a couple of days. It would be going good, and you'd say, all right, pull it all down, and we're going with something different now. Oh, we were testing for sure. Oh, yeah, listen. The original, the original Camacho was... Box press, no box press, cellophane, no cellophane, uh, the, the, the wrapper, grades, everything was all testing. You see, the success behind that brand was it was built by by the stores that we worked with and it was built by the salespeople. 
And it was getting that close feedback and being able to be that dynamic and change things that quickly. Because, it, you know, it doesn't matter what my father or I like. If we don't buy the cigars, you see. So we have to make sure that the people that are talking to customers every single day, we maintain that communication. And that's why our success with our brand, a lot of it was due to guys like Dave, at two guys, man, because he was very good to us. He, he, they were always very candid. You know, half the time the guy would piss me off when he would give me advice, but he was usually right. Well, as, as I'm tasting this, and this is the first time I, I didn't have the, uh, and I don't know if you did it on purpose while you, you sent these to us an hour before the show started, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a chance to smoke any of these cigars beforehand. The first one I, I smoked, the brown label, I'll, I'll just call it the brown label, very, very different. It didn't resemble anything I've ever tasted uh, from the Camacho brand at all. I loved it, by the way, taking nothing away from Camacho. I loved it. Uh, and now I'm smoking the Corojo, which... This is your signature. I can I can taste um, Christian made this cigar. This this has your signature all over it. Thank you very much, Dave. Actually, for you, compliment the Corenta is a huge compliment because I know you're not uh, you know you're more of, of a medium guided body guy. So that truly is a compliment. You see, the uh, our, our experiment with this new project, we launched a CLE product. We're also doing another one called Asylum, which is out of Nicaragua, and we're also doing another one called Windwood. That'll be out of Honduras, and it's also going to be, we're also building the factory now in the USA as we speak. So we wanted to go with a lot of different directions. The CLE, very specifically, is for the people who truly want to enjoy a cigar and have the 45, 50 minutes to sell it, to us, I mean, to smoke it. So if they have the time, if they do have the time to go into the store, we want to encourage our, our customers to sell it to those people that really know what they want to smoke and they want to take their time to do it. If a guy, you get these other guys that just love having smoking six, seven cigars a day, like uh, like Jonathan's grandfather, you know that's what the asylum is going to be. That's a cigar. It's got to have some kick to it, some punch to it. But if you want to take your time and relax, CLE is a cigar for you. Now I'm loving the size that you sent uh, also, which is the five and three quarters by forty six. Nowadays, everybody's coming out with these big, thick ring gauges. I'll tell you, the flavor of, of, of a 46 ring gauge blows away these big, thick uh, thick cigars as far as I'm concerned, and, and I hope it ends up catching on size-wise, never mind the blend itself. Um, very elegant, uh, lots and lots of flavor. Um, the, the brown one, first off, as I said, um, yeah, I, w- I would say it, it, it's upwards uh, more of more medium uh, to full, but it's so balanced so well that there's no um, straight down your tongue type of flavor to it. Um, we are when, as I'm smoking the darker one, it, it's certainly heavier. It, it's Corojo, which for the folks listening out there that don't understand uh, the Corojo plant, that. Authentic Corojo needs to come from the seed from the Corojo plant that was based in Cuba, which there's only a handful of people, which uh, your family was one of them, three people that own the tobacco fields in Cuba. So tell us a little about Corojo uh, and and what makes it authentic as opposed to other people spreading that name around like it's... uh, Wildfire. Yeah. Well, the the original Corojo seed... It was the traditional Cuban seed, but it was grown in a farm called Santa Ines del Corojo. It used to belong to the gentleman named Diego Rodriguez. Diego Rodriguez, he would have these, the farm was called Santa Ines, so people would drive by and they would say, you know what, I want some of that tobacco from El Corojo. So what he would do was crop after crop, he would take the pick of the litter, 
and just regrow that same seed to the extent that that rapper became famous. It truly is the rapper that made Cuban tobacco famous and, uh, in, in the 40s and 50s. So in 1987 was the last known crop that Cuba ever did of this seed when it was replaced by Havana 2000 and 892 and something 96. They were doing a lot of different experiments at the time because the, the Corojo seed was not yielding very much. It was suffering from something called black shank that kills the plant from inside out. It was also getting something called blue mold. So it's very susceptible to just about everything. And the hybrid seed started developing a lot, a lot more quickly. Daniel Rodriguez, which is Diego's grandson, was my father's best friend forever since they were young. Diego grew some of the tobacco in Nicaragua when they first moved in, in the 60s. But eventually he got out of when the Sandinistas came in. He left Nicaragua and uh, abandoned the crop. So he gave my father some of the seed. We started regrowing that seed in 1997. And the first, very first batch is the one that you tried, Dave. Yeah. Which is, was first generation Cuban, Cuban seed Corojo. We tried to register the Corojo name. The, the, the Rodriguez family gave us the, the, the permission to do so. But in 1996, the United States Patent and Trademark Office said, look, the same after region, you can no longer register it. And at that point, the Rodriguez family had let that name, the registration lapse. Therefore, we were unable to protect it. And that's why you saw everybody and their mother come out with Corolla Seed, which was, uh, you know, they, whether it's through an they would name it Corolla. You see Corolla everywhere. But in fact, it's called Corolla, what's it called, Corolla 99. And there's another one, I think it's Corolla 2006. So yeah. the name was used to keep, to keep pushing. But there's, as far as I know, we're still the only ones to grow the authentic seed. Actually, we're the only dummies that grow the authentic seed because the yield is horrible. It's about 1,000 pounds per acre, whereas the other stuff is about 2,200 pounds per acre. So it's, it's more than double. But in my opinion, there's no better tasting tobacco. The stuff is fantastic. It can't be replaced by anything else. And that's why we stuck to it. And this is your dad that's growing this, right? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, my father, that's all he wants to grow now. And just so I understand this correctly, do you sell that tobacco to anybody else, or is it just used for the Camacho brand and, and, and your stuff? That's it. Just uh, with the, uh, the the people at Dada for Camacho and just for us. We don't sell it to any other parties. So, so the... You know, I just can't stand when people throw around the, the, the names of they're using this because somebody's brand is, is that good. I mean, Camacho Corojo comes out. It's the first one saying that word. Nobody knows what it means. You explain what it is, that it's that good. They smoke it. They say it's that good. So everybody just quickly uses that name. Uh, I don't know if you, you caught us earlier where we had a scientist on kind of telling the truth. And I wish there was more of that, and that's what we're going to try to do on the Cigar Authority is tell more of the truth because, uh, you know, there's other cigars out there that use the, the Corojo name, and they're good cigars. You don't need to lie. Why don't you just say what it is because it's good on its, on its own, but, but people uh, do it. I don't, know, I don't understand why. And uh, as things are copied like that, I don't know how you feel about it, but I know it bothers me a lot because uh, people will say to me that um, – you know, somebody copying you is a, the biggest form of flattery, but how do you take it? Oh, listen, man. It, it, was, it was a point that was a competitor, a very large competitor, the first time they came out of the world, my first action. And this is probably in the year 2000. I was in a Sulu, and at that time, we had this guy, South Montana. I was going to go send a report to the Federal Trade Commission, do everything. And South sat me down and said, listen, kid, you can't take on that monster. So I wasn't about to take to, uh, to pick a fight with these people. 
Right. And it used to piss me off a lot. Now there's, there's nothing can do. They, the uh, biggest thing was we had trouble with, with the uh, people that were controlling the media at the time in our industry that never really gave us the credit for bringing that feedback to life. But, you know, that, that, that's back then. You, you get over these things. But I do agree with you, and I think that's why you and I have always been able to understand each other so well, is I, too, am a traditionalist. I think the product needs to sell because of the product. I don't give in to, to the, all the marketing stuff. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I think that a cigar needs to be a cigar. I think that a person needs to appreciate it for what it is, not because of the gimmick, not because you're giving this away or that away. But I also do understand that it is an industry, and at the end of the day, it is still a business. And that's, you know, that's something that we just have to fight every day. And, and uh, hopefully people catch on, just like we built the commercial brand, which we never advertised that brand for seven, eight years. It just kept growing on word of mouth. We plan to do something similar with with the CLE and, and the Asylum and the Winwood brands. Okay. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to smoke the Winwood. So can you tell us a little about Winwood? This looks like a shade wrap cigar. It is a shade wrap cigar. That's from the good people at uh, ASP. David Perez and Ecuador, they, they, in my opinion, they grow the best Connecticut period. They've just about taken over the whole market. And uh, in the Winwood Project, there's a partner, and this kid's name is Robert Caldwell. I met Robert Caldwell at the Honduras Cigar Festival last year, and we hit off immediately. It turns out that his business is to sell cigars to the hotels and restaurants in Miami, Miami Beach, to sell this called the Hotel Humor. It, again, he's one of these kids, traditionalists. You know, he's 28, 29 years old, Dave, and it's incredible the amount of knowledge he already has at that age. Kid smokes three, four cigars a day, maybe five. He's always smoking. He enjoys them. He feels the flavor of them. So as I'm beginning to prepare for this new company, I, I just mentioned to him in passing that my next office, I want it to be a badass office. Matter of fact, I want my office to have a factory in it, which is what we ended up doing with him. He said, you know, I know exactly the place, and I want to go into in, in it with you. And the area is called Wynwood. Wynwood is the art district in Miami. Okay. So we actually have a 5,000-square-foot building now that we're building out, and it's also going to be an art gallery. So we have, as we speak, we have a group of people graffitiing the walls, which is allowed. It's, uh, it's legalized in this area. And the inside, it's also going to be painted, graffiti. We're going to have paintings. We're going to have everything in there. The traffic in this place every month is about 600,000 visitors wow. at this location. So it is an art district, and we're celebrating the art industry of cigars. The cigar itself is an extremely flavorful cigar. It's mild to medium, it's Connecticut wrap cigar, and the blend is, is you can almost chew the smoke. It's that creamy. And that's exactly what we're looking for in the cigar. And I really want, uh, I'm very curious as to your opinion, I hope you get to smoke it during the show. Yeah, we'll definitely get so to you it. You can get a good uh, yeah, evaluate well. well. We'll definitely get to it. Um, it has the date printed right on the band as 2012. Does that mean there's going to be a different version every year? Yes, it actually, all of our production is vintage. Thank you for, for reminding me of that. Because you know, tobacco is not the same every year. Right. We may buy the same tobacco from the same plantations and, and we use the same priming, but it's still different every year. So every. April 1st of every year, the vintage is going to change. Why? Because we, we begin production in uh, around January 15th. So it'll be, and cigars are going to rest for about two months after they're made. So they'll be in transit to the United States about March 
15th around that time. And then April 1st is when we reintroduce the new vintage every single year. That will be our goal. And whatever we have left over the previous vintages, we'll we'll still have, we'll we'll catalog it, and it'll be be still be available. But it's uh, it's a special order item at that point. Okay. So on the outside of the box, I can see the year, and the inside on every single band, it has the year. That that will change across the board on April 1st. Uh, anything that's out there stays as uh, that year. The new one comes out. The blend will try to be the same, but automatically is different because of the crop, right? That's exactly. Yeah, the blend will be exactly the same. The quantities will be the same. This is the tobacco batches are different. Because one thing I wanted to do, Dave, with Sealy, especially with Sealy, one thing that we end up doing in manufacturing is we always plan to make a million cigars. And if we have three different types of tobacco, A, B, and C, and maybe variety C only gives me enough of 500,000 cigars, I'm going to replace that variety with something else just so I can get to that million mark. So what happens is we end up sacrificing a little part of what we, we want, what we really want. It's almost like if you want to cook a steak, and you don't have, I don't know, salt, and you replace the salt with, I don't know, soy sauce. It's a flavor change. It's just, it's not what you want at the end. It still works, but it's not exactly what you want. But we're doing with CLE. We buy the tobacco. Whatever we have, that's what we're going to make it. What we can make are 372,000 cigars. That's all we're making. It all depends on the packs that we get, and it all depends on the quantities. So we are going to limit ourselves and follow that discipline, because we, we really want to build CLE as a premium brand, and a brand that everybody can afford as well. well Cigar sounds... is beautiful. It tastes great. It's priced. I believe it's about two dollars on the on the where it should be priced. But I just really want the enjoyment of people smoking the cigar, which is my goal this time around, David. How many so times? Personal. It's not about the money. It's not about the business. I really want to share with people the some of the stuff that I've uh, that I've developed. Well, isn't it isn't it interesting that we watch uh, cigar brands being launched all the time, and you can tell the difference from batch to batch. You get one batch then that's phenomenal. You get a customer. I know myself as a, as a salesman. I get a customer on a brand. The next batch comes in, and it's not as good or it's different. It's as good, but it's different. And how frustrating that is as a salesman because now the person believes that that brand is now no or they good. Think, or they think their taste has changed. I hear it from customers right. all the time. You know, my taste has changed. I used to like that cigar. I don't like it anymore. And I said, well, it's different. It looks the same. It has the same band, same everything. But they didn't tell me either. It just changed. That won't happen with yours. No, it won't. Because what we'll do, it's called batch manufacturing. As soon as we have all the tobacco ready, all the stuff is going to be made at the same time. It might take 60, 90 days to make, and that's it. We won't make any more for the rest of the year. So they all, they all taste the same. They'll be identical. And another, another thing that we're adding to this, and you guys with the exception, Dave, only because we want it to be with you guys first. You know, CLE cigars will never be shipped by air. Always ground. I, I, and, and in my opinion, the cigars don't travel well. You know, I, a good friend of mine that's not running the Lampe factory, Javier Plantada, he taught me a quote that says, cigars don't make good travel companions. You're right so about that. So that's another thing that we're doing. Cigars will not travel by air ever. They're going to be shipped ground. So it'll take time, which is why we had the 4th of July, and I completely missed it in between. That's why you should have had the whole cigars in your store yesterday. They're going to get there on Monday. You know, it's funny you say that, and, and I hear it from customers here in the retail brick-and-mortar type of business that they say to me, uh, you know, I get cigars from other places, mail order, 
and your cigars taste that much better. I hear that myself. It's the same exact cigar I buy online that I get uh, in your store, and it tastes better. And that's because it has been climate-controlled, temperature and humidity, for a, long, for a long period of time, exactly the way it's supposed to be. And you take the cigar out of our humidor that's, that might, might be sitting here for months, as opposed to getting one, open the package after it just uh, took a UPS trip and a 180-degree uh, UPS truck over a long weekend or something, and the cigar is soft, doesn't taste the same, it's got a sour taste to it. It's the same exact brand, but it did not travel well. So I think it, it's a major plus for us brick-and-mortar stores because we do have an edge uh, to, for somebody to walk into a premium cigar store that keeps their product the right way because it certainly does taste better. It does. I agree 100% with that. The only thing I wish we could eliminate, and it's impossible to eliminate, is that flipping cellophane. I absolutely detest cellophane, but we can't do anything about it because of damage in, in the, when it's being handled. But, I mean, I really wish we could eliminate that cellophane. Yeah, hey, it worked on your, your uh, uh, Camacho Diploma. You know, I, I remember that cigar oh so well uh, when it used to come, and it was almost something you had to dig through the way the way the box was presented, and you had a, the early ones that you had to actually dig, dig in to pull the cigar out of it, and it was so special. And, it, you know, there wasn't a lot of damage with it the way you ended up packaging. It was just really tough for somebody to get a hold of one out of a box. <laughs> I really will. <laughs> I actually used to get phone calls. How do you open it? And I would have to walk people through it. Take your credit card, slice it, <laughs> yeah. and then you 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 kind of tap the cigars gently. So we always had. To, I even had. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen those, those those little cartoons out of tie a bow tie. I had a kid drawing that, but the kid was a terrible painter, so we can't couldn't make it work. Yeah, at the time. Well, you you did you did some in, ingenious things that have been copied by a lot of people. You, you've uh, I think you really brought full body cigars uh, right up front. Uh, your trips to uh, Honduras, uh, where you took just about every cigar store owner across the country uh, to actually see all the work and everything that went into it, to painstakingly went into uh, making a premium cigar. You not only helped um, your company out, but I think you helped the cigar industry out completely across the board. And I, I got to thank you for that. Uh, and it's interesting what you're doing now, which is uh, obviously not about the money anymore. You mentioned the price of the cigars. Can you tell us what these are going to run? Uh, Dave, actually, uh, I'm always worried about making that calculation because of the different prices in different states. Okay. But the, uh, in, I, I think that I safe to say we're in the 4 to $6 price range. But, of course, every different state is, is every state is different. In CLE, it's 4 to 6 Yes, sir. Wow. You are I think kidding me. Five is the most expensive one. This I is an $8 cigar all day long. I am shocked that you are saying this because, again, they, they just came in. I have no paperwork on them or anything, but I'm blown away with you saying this right now. This is, this is uh, I, I'm not even. I was thinking that it would, should have been a $10 cigar and you were knocking it down to $8. Wow. All right. No, That's no, no, a bargain. No. We're actually uh, way, under, way under where we should be. But I really want people to enjoy it. And the quantities, uh, we didn't make that many of them. We're only picking 350 customers, of course. So you guys, the two guys, are numero uno for us. You guys have been great to us, always a true friend, and I always knew how to count on Dave. 
Well, I feel the same exact way, and that's the beautiful thing about this business is uh, it's the give and take and uh, the reciprocity that happens between people. I couldn't be happy for you, Christian. Uh, Welcome back to the cigar industry. You never left, but it feels like it's a new beginning for you. Are you going to show the stuff at the trade show uh, uh, literally 25 days from now? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. We're we're ready. We're ready for it all. We've got a great crew of of, uh, people. And uh, we're dying to get out there and, and meet with our friends and customers again. It's, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I really wasn't completely out, but I almost felt like I was out. So it, it really is a treat to be back in and, and even be able to talk about something new with you guys. All right. Uh, I'm excited for you. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and showing us uh, this, this great cigar right off the bat. Uh, for the retailers that are listening, you heard him. 350 cigar customers, cigar shop customers is all he's going to take this year. So i got to imagine your trade show booth opening day should be the place to go. Right. I hope so, too. I think you'll be surprised at how many people are listening. When we do something wrong, the phone lights up. So uh, I don't think we did anything wrong today, but I know they're listening. So, uh, Christian, thank you so much. The best of luck to you out there. I'll see you in uh, 25 short days. In the meantime, I'm uh, excited to get the, uh, the shipment coming in any day ground. And now I understand why it's going to be ground. And uh, for everybody out there, look for it, the CLE, uh, Christian Lewis Aroa. Happy uh, belated birthday to you. And uh, we'll, smoke, you, we'll smoke the Winwood later on in the show. Thank you so much. All right, Jonathan, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. And, uh, Dave, see you soon, brother. Thank you. That's Christian Lewis Aroa, CLE, 4 to $6. I'm actually still in a little bit of sticker shock, but it's the wrong way on the sticker. All right, we're gonna take we're gonna take a short break. Uh, it's been action packed, and uh, th- this is a great show so far. We got more coming up, so stick around, everybody. We're taking a break. When we get back, uh, the latest blogs. What do you think? Events filling up our calendars, promotions, and a lot more. We're live from Two Guys Smoke Shop in Seabrook. We got the vintage watchman over here. Come on by, look at his watches, see what he's got. Tell him what you got. It's a party going on here live from Seabrook, New Hampshire. You're listening to the Cigar Authority on the United Cigar Retailers Radio Network. Cigar smokers, how about if we go over a few cigar store sounds? Can you guess what this is? You think you got it? Okay, do you know what this is? Now for the cigar. What do you think of this cigar? I'm lighting up a La Giana Havana cigar. The La Giana Havana natural cigars are, oh yeah, so smooth. And oh yeah, the Maduro version is a bit beefed up. But oh yeah, they're delicious too. When asked what my favorite cigar is, I always say, it's La Giana Havana. Oh yeah. In 1962, the U.S. signed the embargo, pronouncing all Cuban products illegal and un-American. For almost 50 years, the U.S. was without a comparable substitute. In 2011, the Cigar Agency releases Ortsak Bulletproof 1962, a Dominican handmade cigar designed to go head-to-head against Castro and his infamous cigars. Today, the Cigar Agency commissioned Hendrik Keltner's A-Team to bring you Ortsak Bulletproof. In the cigar world, the forbidden fruit is Castro's Cuban cigars. The fact is, the moment you light your first Cuban cigar is the moment you've been had. If you're looking for a cigar that delivers construction, 
draw in price. Maybe this time you should try an Ortsack Bulletproof. With the introduction of Ortsack, everything Castro was now backwards. Ortsack is Castro spelled backwards. Ortsack is what you expect a good Cuban cigar to taste like. Only better. It is the cigar of the year. The new Ortsack Bulletproof 1962. Reigniting passion in the world of premium cigars and redefining who we are as cigar smokers and Americans. Castro hates Ortsack, but you will love them. Hi, this is Jonathan. Jonathan, this is Losers Anonymous. Please, don't give out your full name. It's anonymous. What seems to be the problem? I just can't stop buying trashy cigars on the Internet. I keep getting these offers for this crap, and I just can't stop buying it. My humidor is filled with this junk, and I can't even smoke it. That's insane. Why do you keep doing the same thing over and over and expect something different? It's the pictures. They look so good, but the cigars are always terrible. I guess they are seconds for a reason, huh? I guess so, Jonathan, but just stop the insanity. I can't. I just can't pass up a deal. It's no deal if the cigars are bad, is it? You're right, but... But nothing. You may not be a loser, Jonathan. You might just be stupid, but I have an option for you. It's cartel. Hey, I might be a loser. I may even be stupid, but I'm a law-abiding, cigar-smoking citizen. I'm not getting into anything that's illegal. No, cartel isn't Cuban or anything illegal in any way. Cartel is an affordable cigar brand. It's something that competes with those closeout brands, but it's no closeout. It's a very affordable brand, Jonathan, out of Colombia, and it's a great everyday cigar for very little money. Don't be stupid. Smoke cartel. Cartel cigars are handmade cigars out of Colombia for a little over a buck a stick. Don't be stupid. Don't be Jonathan. Smoke cartel. He reads the dictionary just for fun. He finds the minutiae of tax preparation enthralling. Years ago, at an open mic night, he was paid just to leave. He is the only man to win a staring contest with the Statue of Liberty. He is so uninteresting to women, he was forced to open a cigar shop to sell to men. He's not even a legend in his own mind. He finds himself boring. His family barely pays attention to him, and his mother refers to him as, Hey you, he is David Garofalo, the least interesting man in the cigar world. Not since Zeno Davidoff has a cigar retailer had a brand named after him. The man himself may be a bore, but the cigar isn't. Garofalo is a premium handmade luxury cigar using U.S. shade wrapper and a blend of Nicaraguan fillers and binder. Complex and very interesting. Garofalo may be the most interesting cigar in the world. It once won a longest ash contest without even being lit. You don't light a Garofalo, it lights you. Its flavor expands on your palate faster than the universe. It has been said that this cigar would be phenomenal as a Maduro, except it's perfect as it is. I always smoke cigars, and when I do, I prefer Garofalo. Keep smoking Garofalo, my friends. We're here asking people from all around the world what they think about Equilibrium cigars. Let's hear from cigar smokers on the golf course in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, what they think of the new Equilibrium cigars. How about outside this biker bar in Sturgis, South Dakota, what they think of the new, well-balanced Equilibrium cigars. 
Next, let's see what race car drivers in Indianapolis, Indiana, think of the new, well-balanced and medium-bodied taste of Equilibrium brand cigars. Now, how about this mime troupe from New York City, New York? How about what a famous cigar-smoking movie star thinks of the new medium-bodied, tasty, and well-balanced Equilibrium cigars? Smoke it once, and you'll be back. Mmm. How about this monster over here? What does he think of the new medium-bodied, tasty, and well-balanced Equilibrium cigars? <laughs> Equilibrium cigars, a new, well-balanced, medium-bodied cigar that everyone can enjoy. They're encourageable. All right, so I'm actually I'm excited about smoking this next one because it, it has one of my favorite things on the band. <laughs> a rainbow. Yeah, I didn't bring that up to Christian. <laughs> if, if he's still listening, I know he is. Uh, well, he said it's in the art district, blah, blah, blah. So maybe it has something to do with the art district, the type of people that hang at the art district. It's going to be a difficult sell to sell this to a man because there's a rainbow in the band is my prediction. Well, that may be the only turnoff. The cigar is going to end up being phenomenal if it's anything like the other two. So once you get it in someone's hand, that'll be a different story. But all right, Chuck, who's listening to us? Oh God! All right, we don't have to do that. We did that at the top of the hour. Oh, all right, that's right. We did it. Fifty ten. We got GAM. We got ESPN, and we got Positive Energy. The CigarStation.com, iTunes, Ustream. But the question of the day, Dave. Speaking yeah. of these excellent cigars, is a lot of our listeners, as you know, are international across the U.S., Canada. They want to know if they can get these via mail order. You can uh, when we receive them, which will be later on in uh, next week. As he said, he, he shipped them ground, which they didn't get to us in time. We were hoping to have them at all the stores in the mail order and stuff that, uh, during this week. Um, you know, his non-compete or something, he wasn't able to do anything till the 1st of July. He wanted to launch it on the 5th of July, which is his 40th birthday. Uh, so that was uh, all set. And the stuff didn't get to us in time, period. Uh, he knew this yesterday, so he overnighted a box of each to us. So we're uh, sharing them with everybody here at Two Guys Smoke Shop in Seabrook today. And uh, we can actually do this with the, the Winwood too, if you want to. Uh, Jasmine, you want to pass these out? She wore her nice high heels. She looks just like Vanna with tattoos. There we go. And uh, she, was, she was just brought up that uh, what about a woman's... Cigar night uh, that would be hard for us to pull off, but if she's willing to work with us uh, to have a, a night that, uh, you know, maybe a middle of the week or something, a Wednesday night or something uh, after hours, and it's just women that are in here along with us, of course, and we give them uh, a glass of champagne or a glass of wine or something and some cigars, and they can chit chat or whatever, whatever women do, and they can smoke this uh, cigar with the um, rainbow on it. This <laughs> smells. And tastes like <laughs> when you have a dull saw blade and you cut a pine board, specifically one inch pine, ten inches wide, and you run the saw blade. When you get about six inches in, the saw blade heats up and starts to caramelize the wood. It starts to smoke like crazy. That's the flavor I'm getting. It's wonderful. You never... Seem to uh, let me down, Mr. Jonathan, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to these crazy things. Ten inch. Has to be ten inches. You've got to get six inches in <laughs> and still have four inches left to burn the blade. 
And you taste it now. It's like magic. <laughs> <laughs> it's the craziest thing. that he, he paints a picture in your mind, and, and it kind of sticks. You can understand what he's saying. Uh, I'm, I'm very early in on this one, but the brown one, the 40th. Oh, um, no, amazing. Was that your favorite? So far, yeah. i got to get into this a little longer. Usually the shade stuff is what I'm going to go to. Uh, but CLE is the brand, and the, and the size name is C-U-A-R-E-N-T-A. Corenta. Corenta. Quarenta. Quarenta. Or Quarente, perhaps. And uh, <laughs> nice packaging. Fantastic cigar. I love the size. Uh, it's interesting that um, the size is, and in, in, he didn't bring it up, but uh, looking at some of the sizes of, of some of the things that are coming out, um, I think that's a great size, but I know he's got some monster sizes coming out. Uh, there's some sizes, uh, he's, you know, on the Asylum uh, one, he's got some big sizes coming out, 6x60s and things like that. He's got an interesting one, a 4x44. That might be tasty. Did I see 7x70 in there? Um, there is. There's a 7x70. Wow. 7x70 for $7. Very interesting. Enough with this 7x70 stuff. You know, <laughs> Enough. I, There's only one other cigar that's 70 ring gauge. Well, we, we talked a little about it on the, the blog. On uh, the CigarAuthority.com, you can go on there every single day. We try to post something up there on our blog every day. And one of the things we mentioned about was thick cigars, um, that it's all the rage and everything. And I'll tell you, uh, some reports I got some, from some manufacturers that their 6x60 is their number one selling size. So everybody gets word of this, and at this trade show that's coming up less than 30 days away, you're going to see lots of people coming up with 6x60s, 7x70s, big, thick ring gauges. And here's what's going to happen. It is not going to be your best-selling size because everybody's going to have that size. The reason why it was their best-selling size is there wasn't many people that, that had it. They did it first. Right. So if there were five companies that put a 6x60, those companies were the only 6x60 choices. Therefore, they would sell the best. When everybody has one 30 days from now, it's not going to be a best-selling size. It's going to be a worst-selling size most likely. That's what I'm saying. Well, anyway. not to mention, when you, when you bring a cigar to the level of 6x60 or 7x70, you are washing out the flavor of the wrapper. Where it certainly isn't going to taste like those 5 no, by 46 there's no possible way unless you're, unless you're burning up wrapper on the internal workings of the cigar. That's the only way I can think of that you could get a flavor to be similar in the blending process. Maybe take some of the, the same wrapper, the B-rated stuff that's not wrapper quality, and infuse it into the middle. But hmm. even, even then, I would imagine... As far as the way combustion works with oxygen mixing with the wrapper as it's burning, it's burning at that level, it's burning at that pace, and it tastes that way for a reason. I can't imagine that even throwing wrapper on the inside of the cigar is going to do it. So you're going to end up with these washed out uh, and possibly underfilled cigars that won't taste right. Someone will try it once, and then that'll be it. That'll be it. I'll tell you, people that like them, like them, that's for sure. There's, there's uh, guys in here right now smoking those big, thick ring-gauge cigars. So as a retailer, I'm buying them because people are buying them. Uh, you know, unlike the Lancero that people say you should buy the Lancero, the thing never sells. Uh, I don't believe in the Lancero either. It's too thin. It burns too hot. Uh, 
draw problems, yeah. all but kinds of things that happen. Aren't lanceros kind of expensive to make as well? You need to have a certain roller on it. That's a that's a very skilled project to because, put someone in, on. In order for the draw to happen. And sometimes the draw doesn't happen, and it doesn't sell. That's the, the real thing is it doesn't sell. Maybe I buy too many or whatever, but we don't even get through a box of some of these things. You know? I have a question for you that's yeah. come up this week. When you go into a, a cigar shop and you're squeezing the Charmin, so to speak, you reach in and you, you just lightly squeeze the cigar, is there a, a way to predict whether the cigar is going to draw well or not draw well based on squeezing? No, because we have said on the show, look, this thing is packed like unbelievable. Nick Perdomo cigars, for instance, those things are packed. They They're feel, crush-proof. They feel like it's, there's no way it's going to draw. And then you cut it, and every draw we know, because he puts it through a draw test before the wrap is applied, every one draws perfect. But you never know it feeling it. So, no, it's usually uh, – uh, plus the person uh, – if, if you're a consumer listening to the show and you're squeezing the shaman, uh, um, <laughs> never squeeze a cigar at the head of the cigar where the cap is because it cracks automatically. Every single one of them will crack if you squeeze it, the head of it. You squeeze the foot. The open end. And if you see a little bounce to it, you know it's fresh. It has a little bounce to it. If you squeeze that little foot and it went, then you know it's dry in the inside. The way we have it set up in the stores and all the, all the cases have humidifiers built into them and it's all connected and they're on uh, like a toilet bowl type of thing yep. that it automatically fills up. If there was one cigar dry in that case, all the cigars would be dry. Right, And they're not, therefore they're fine, but people have to do it. People do it with fruit and vegetables and things all the time and stuff. If you're going to do it as not to wreck the cigar, do me a personal favor. <laughs> do, this is for me. Don't squeeze the head of the cigar because we smoke the damaged cigars. There's nothing wrong with it, but people aren't going to pay $10 for a cigar with a broken head. And either are you because when you squeeze it and the head broke, you put it down and then you, <laughs> you grab I see you. One. I watch you do it. You, you take that cigar, you put it down, and you say, that, well, that was fine. Let me take the next one. And then nobody's going to take that one, nor do I want to even sell that one. So we smoke it, and we smoke them all anyway. So we do. We eventually get to them anyway, but don't squeeze the shaman. If you're going to do it, do it with the foot. You'll see the little bounce on it. You'll see what I say. Check your own humidor. you got a little bounce to it. Actually, the you know, uh, uh, a gauge that's going to tell you what the humidity is. You want, you want to know what the humidity is? Just feel a little bounce to the thing. Like a good chef... Um, feels the the piece of meat that's cooking on the grill and knows, you know the thing, you touch your fingers and you can feel the, the, yeah. the meat? No. The rear, medium, rear, medium. You, your index finger and your thumb, if you put your index finger and thumb together, now you feel the, the what do you call that, the pot? The little uh, meat of your hand there, the palm? The palm of your hand where your, your thumb, underneath your thumb, Yeah, that's rear. If you go to the second uh, finger... That's oh, medium. Oh, tightens it up. Yeah, and you go to the third one. You wow. got medium well. You go to the pinky, and then you got well done. That's why they're touching the meat. That's right. So you can do it with a fork. You can do it with your finger or whatever, but that's what you do. Well, you want to know if your cigar is properly humidified in your humidor, not in my humidor, please. Squeeze the foot of the cigar. You'll see that it bounces, bounces back. If you squeeze it and it pushed in and it actually stayed in, it's too humidified. Mm. That would be not just that cigar you're smoking. If it's in your humidor, that would be every single cigar in your humidor, not just one. Unless, of course, you bought cigars mail-order-wise. They got shipped to you. They sat in the UPS truck for five days, six days. They dried out. They got over-humidified. They got overheated. 70% 
is what everybody looks for for humidity. I would say 60 to 70% is ideal. But the key is the temperature. We mentioned that on the blog also, that 70 degrees is a key. And I would go as far as to say 50 to 70 degrees is good. You start getting over 75 degrees, 72 degrees, the cigar is heating up too much. You can get bugs, which will infestate your whole humidor completely. Um, you don't you don't want it to get hot. And we've had some hot weather here in New England. Bring your cigars down the basement. Keep them cool. That's what you want to do. Uh, humidity is relative to temperature. So if you're down to 50 degrees, it's going to be awful hard to get 70 uh, percent humidity at 50 degrees. So you find some sort of happy medium. He, living here in New England, the, the weather changes, the climate changes all the time. A good cigar store stays on top of it. You walk into our humidors that are here. It's climate controlled, humidity controlled. The brick and mortar store that's doing it right, their cigar, the same brand that you're buying somewhere else, their cigar is going to taste better than somebody else's, even though it's the same brand. Because of the climate control, because of the temperature control, because of the way it's kept and, and what's happening with it. Before I learned how to manage my humidor, I would prefer to buy single cigars in the store because they tasted better. Yeah. And it was because I was doing a poor job of managing the humidity and the temperature in my humidor. I got it going on now, and my cigars taste exactly the same for my humidor as they do from the store. I'm a box guy now. Is there a way – I forget if you guys have addressed this, but is there a way, Dave, you were talking about if you have a too dry cigar, if it's overhumidified, to salvage that, to bring it back to its purity? The, so an- speak- the answer is slowly. You bring it back slowly. You don't go – you bring it back in the 70% 70-degree temperature. You don't bring it into 80% and overhumidify it because moisture gets added to it and the cigar starts blowing up and then splits and cracks. You'll also look at the cigar that had dried out. It shrunk like a raisin, and then you add humidity to it, and it gets wavy, and it, it doesn't have a good look to it anymore. The cigar is actually going to taste fine, brought back to the, uh, the right humidity. It just won't look good anymore. Hmm. It's still smokable. It's going to be fine. It's just not going to look good. The ideal thing is to maintain it all the time, the entire time. Folks like um, Fuente, I like that they add inside their box of cigars the little humidifying pack. Mm-hmm. That is good for shipping from the warehouse in Florida or from the warehouse in the Dominican Republic to Florida, later from Florida to us here in New Hampshire or wherever the store is, back to the store. It's able to maintain humidity, not temperature, though. There's nothing they can do about that. But it's able to keep a, a relative humidity anyway during that time. It certainly can go over-humidified because of, again, you know, helping the UPS driver the other day and went into his truck. Holy God. Sauna. Oh, my God. I don't know how the guy even, uh, he drives with both doors open, but wow, was it hot. It was ridiculous. I mean, I, I said, you got to stand inside this thing. It was way over 100 degrees wow. inside. The, the roofs of them are... Um, like a skylight, right? Yeah, so that they can see inside without having light. But that's also throwing in the sunbeams and everything that goes along with it. It's the worst place for it to be. So what wow. we typically like to do is we rotate our product uh, in the store so the stuff comes in and the stuff that was in transit goes towards the back and you're smoking stuff that's already had months of climate control. Well, it's like when you when you do a project. When I did uh, hardwood floors in my home, my brother did the floor work for me, but we brought the hardwood in and he said it's got to rest in yeah. your home for a minimum of three days. Two weeks would be ideal. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. That's right. Two weeks, I want the floor done now. And he said, if I, I'll do it now if that's what you want, but it's going to buckle. And he explained to me the whole humidity process 
getting the wood acclimated to your home. You get the cigars acclimated to the new surroundings so that they're, they're not traumatized. They're like little souls. You don't want them traumatized. Right. As Everything you- nice and easy. So th- that's good news for brick-and-mortar stores anyway, that our cigars are better. Even if it's the same name, it's better. It certainly is better. Now, this is phenomenal, by the way. Yeah, it is. The Winwood. You like it the best? What do you like the best? I'm going to go with the uh, the first one we that, smoked. That's because I said so. No, it's the one I like the best. And we this one's this one's because two, we though. were so in, we were so entrenched at that point that we didn't even light up for a while um, with the uh, vintage Watchman, and then later, and then later on moving on to the Doctor Mark. Um, we didn't get to talk on any flavor profiles or anything on cinnamon. I got a very strong flavor of, of cinnamon right on right on the light, and then the the sort of a a little aggressive on the spiciness of the cinnamon, but sweet, and then that mellowed out and just it stayed with me for the whole cigar. By the way, pinwheels. Last week we talked about that little cookie. The marshmallow. The marshmallow with the coconut, coconut on the top and the little graham cracker type of thing. The name of the uh, cookie is Pinwheel. I got you a cheeseburger. You can stop thinking about food. It's waiting for you as soon as the show's over. But what, were we, what, were we, uh, what were we smoking that we said tastes exactly like that Pinwheel? Who did we have on the show? Eric. Eric Hansen. Oh. It was his box press cigar. Yeah. Oh, the one that isn't even, even out yet. Okay. That tasted like the Pinwheel. Yeah, that was very good. I can't wait for that to come out. And, and we, that's going to be a hammer and sickle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A hammer and yeah. sickle box press. Next week on the show, um, we are going to have uh, Barry from Estelo Cubano. That's a uh, new cigar brand that's out there. Um, and we're going to take an advanced look of the new cigars that are going to come out for the, for the trade show. I'm getting all the information. I got real secretive stuff, information that's not even out yet of things that are going to be there. And we're so going to blab. We're going to blab it all. Love it. We're going to tell it all. I was so, I was getting so tired of you keeping the secrets. You're like, you, you know, someone giving you a word or whatever. The, the, the new deal for me is I'm not going to ask. If they say, do not say it, I'm not going to say it. So the manufacturers out there, don't be afraid to tell me stuff that you don't want out there, but just make sure you tell me you don't want out there because if you don't tell me, and I'm not going to ask, if you don't tell me, I'm telling. Because... We want to know. This is what, I mean, they should know at this point, two and a half years. You're the cigar authority. You're a reporter. You need the scoop, and that's it. But sometimes they want to say, they want to send something, we're not sure about this yet and whatever, and we want to make a big splash when people show up and think, okay, just tell me, and and that's cool. I don't don't want to ruin it on you if, if that's what you want to do. I know when we did the Camacho project way back, nobody was doing Camacho and stuff. It was... Don't say anything about anything. We're changing this around. We don't even know if that's what's going to be. Don't say anything. Take people over to it. Hey, this is something to try. I think you might like, but do not say this is the direction it's going to go. Okay. And later it becomes the biggest thing. And I would have loved to have been able to say it yeah. during the thing. Hey, we're the only ones that have this, and it's, <laughs> it's a test project and blah, blah, blah. But uh, same thing happened with Origin Maduro. We had that out for yes. almost a year. Yes. Um, that is being launched, uh, has been launched, has been launched already. And you know that, that size of Origin, the, um, the originals, the, the original and, and yep. five in the pack, they're coming out with that with the Origin Maduro. Oh, that that's going to be so, sweet. Yeah. So that'll be good. Uh, that's Jesus Fuego, which incidentally is another person that grew up in the Corojo region with Christian. Mm-hmm. There were three people. So it was Christian's family, uh, Jesus Fuego's family, and it was somebody else. Who cares who that is? Whatever. <laughs> they haven't been uh, on the show. We don't the, care. The magic of that is he was saying that unquestionably that was the best tobacco in Cuba. But 
they don't make that anymore. They don't have um, that. Those tobacco fields are gone. There's nothing growing there. There's nothing happening there at all. And that's why some of these cigars, uh, I'll say all the cigars, um, for the majority of premium cigars, are better than what Cubans are today. You know, yeah, we got all the good people, the good rollers, the good blenders. They're all out. The good seeds, the good everything, everything. So uh, I'm not a big Cuban guy. I, I don't, um, I don't drink the Kool Aid, as they say. You right. know, yeah, because I can't get it. Doesn't make it better. July 21st, Sean Poser is going to call in. We're yes. We're going to have him uh, on from Brickhouse. He's the the new rep. We're going to have him on, and uh, they're doing an event in Salem. But we're going to be here. And uh, we'll have him call in, and we'll be able to talk to Sean as well. All right. Today was a, uh, without a doubt, a big show, uh, big information from uh, Mark Makosi, Dr. Mark Makosi, MD, PhD, and scientist. He has spread the word. We're going to try to get that out there. The day science went up in smoke. And uh, you go to his website. Um, right on the front page there. Insiders101.com. Insiders101, if you want to get that information. We'll put up on, uh, up on our um, blog site. We'll put it up on the Facebook. We'll put it up on everything we can. Spread the word because we know the media is not going to grab a hold of this. We are the media that will grab a hold of it. So we'll do that. I'm going to let everybody know. Uh, let everybody know also uh, that uh, the secondhand smoke fiasco and everything else we heard uh, is uh, nothing but uh, baloney. Uh, looking forward to next week's show. In the meantime, we're here for another hour or so with the Vintage Watchman. You can find him at thevintagewatchman.com. Yes. And uh, that's it. That's the show. Got. That's it. Okay. That's it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. I will catch you next week live here from uh, Seabrook, New Hampshire. You've been listening to the Cigar Authority on the United Cigar Retailers Radio Network. Keep the lid end out of your mouth. Hi, Chuck Morrison here for Desperado Cigars. You know, the economy is down, you hear it all the time, but what can you do about it? Well, not much if you ask me, but you can save a little scratch on your cigars if you're that desperate. Now, I'm no desperate man, but I can still enjoy a Desperado cigar. In this economy, you can still find a cigar that you can cut, light, and enjoy without breaking the bank. Desperado cigars are imported from the fine Dominican Republic and priced for just about a dollar a smoke. Shoot, you can't beat that with a stick. They'll keep the bugs away and your old lady, too. Desperado Cigars. They taste fine and smoke well. Desperado Cigars. Lowest priced national brand in the land. I'm Chuck Morrison for Desperado Cigars. Don't forget to turn off the lights. Try to save some money around here. You hear? Can I have your attention for a second? I want to tell you about a fellow named Dave and the fact I have been buying my cigars from him since 1985 when they first opened up. Two Guys Smoke Shop. Now, Two Guys Smoke Shop have three convenient locations right over the Massachusetts border in tax-free New Hampshire. Now, here's something I bet you didn't know. Two Guys Smoke Shop is America's largest cigar shop and has the largest inventory of cigars anywhere. Wait till you see this place. You're not going to believe it, all right? Now, if you like cigars, you can't find a better place to buy them than at Two Guys Smoke Shop. They're in Salem, New Hampshire. 
Seabrook, New Hampshire, and their new location in tax-free Nashua, New Hampshire. It is worth the ride. You can call 888-2-CIGAR-2. That's 888-2-CIGAR-2 or on the web at twoguyssmokeshop.com. The best place to buy cigars anywhere is Two Guys Smoke Shop. It's Stogie Heaven. With a million choices, it's Stogie. 